continue our study in Colossians chapter 3. So if you would, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to pick up at the 22nd verse. As chapter 3 comes to a close, it's becoming clearer to me as to why Paul instructed his listeners on the importance of having Christ at the center of all relationships, especially the Christian family. So far, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul recognizes that in order for Christian families to have true success in living a full and complete life, these families must have Christ at the helm with everyone relying upon God. Paul tried to help his audience realize that one day they will experience trouble in a fallen, sin-filled world, and the way they must be prepared is by being disciplined in holding on to the truth. We talk about God as our rock, the one who is stable, the one who is immovable. And so, as we consider our text for today, I want to ask you a question. And the question is, what motivates you when you work? Work is a means by which we provide for ourselves and for our families. Work is something um, that is done in various circumstances. Mothers work at home and preparing the house and preparing meals. Our young people work. They go to school. They do their works as it relates to their education. There are various kinds of work works, but the question is, what motivates you when you work? Motives are the hidden reasons for why we take a particular course of action. You see, our actions are only the results of hidden motives, the motives that we cannot see. So why is this important? This is important because it reveals whether or not we are doing things with an intention to honor and glorify God. This is also important because God acts from the highest and purest motives from his, for his own glory. Therefore, he expects his people to do the same by honoring his name. In fact, God's highest motive is receiving the honor that is due his name. And we see this in several scriptures. Listen to what God says to his people. He states in Exodus 9 verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is God talking to his people. Then 
in Psalm 106, verse 8, it says, Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. And then we see in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, 10 and 11, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may, may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever beginning to see the picture and the reason why God instills in us his salvation. God is serious about his name and his glory. So, as you can see on the one hand, God's highest motive is to honor his name. And on the other hand, he expects his glory to be the motive of his people. So this is not just for God alone, but we as his people, we're to be like reflectors. As God shine on us, we shine forth the glory of God. We are not the light. He is the light. We are the reflectors of the light. God says that he is the light of the world. We are to be like this the light that is on the hill, to be, go proclaiming the word of God so that all might hear, so that his name might be great, so that we might proclaim the glorious name of God. And so what we do in our work matters. It matters. And so let us now look at our text Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. Here now the word of God. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is why oftentimes I look forward to the word of God, because it is by his word and by his spirit that God blesses his people. So I want us to be anticipating what God is saying to us. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 22, bond servants. I like the better translation, really, it should be slaves. I think the NASB has slaves and a couple of other translations. So I want you to think about a slave. That's what this word says, slave, in the original language, slave. I think it's doulas. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, 
but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Our Lord and our God, the green grass withers, the flower fades, but your word shall stand forever. Lord God, speak to us that we might Come to know you better. We pray that your word will go forth with power according to your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would even grant life, for we know that your spirit goes wherever he wishes. He causes life, he causes regeneration. We pray for that new birth. We pray for life to be given through your word, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we might leave here, not as hearers only, but doers of your holy word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As you can see in your bulletins, I've entitled, the sermon, A Biblical Perspective Concerning Work. It's interesting that Paul has made this section on slaves and master the longest. You see, when he talks about husbands, you get a little, little pow. <laughs> you know, talk about wives, you get pow, you know. But then when he gets down to slaves and masters, he bring out the big gun. It's like five verses that he's dealing with the slave and master relationship. So it seems to be important here. But take away his dealings with the family because that's important too. But to me, he, he may have done this in this way so that he might address some of the issues that were happening among this group. group. Or it may be because his relation, because of his relationship with Onesimus. You remember Onesimus, the runaway slave, and his master Philemon. And you remember how Paul encouraged Philemon to address Onesimus as he would himself. And now some more intel is given to us as why this section on slaves and masters is so important to Paul. Because in Colossians 4, we see Onesimus along with the carrier of this particular letter to the people. Look at it. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul is saying, 
I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Talking about the carrier. And he says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And so, verse 22, bond servants, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. But first, just to be clear, I want to begin by saying that we must consider this idea of slave in the original context. Okay? That means that Paul is addressing a Christian community who is legally owned by someone whose entire livelihood and purpose were determined by their masters. So with that being said, we have to be careful here in making sure that we're not imposing on the text a meaning that there had, that was never communicated. And so in this case, we want to be careful not to read Paul's instructions to Roman slaves as if they were in America in the deep south during slavery. It is not the context here. Now, there could easily be some similarities in the general sense, such as both having slaves and masters. But to think that Paul is referring to American slavery is a misrepresentation of the text. So unlike pre-Civil War America, slaves and masters in the Roman Empire, were often indistinguishable. Right? They were indistinguishable by race, by religion, by education, by work. In other words, it wasn't so easily noticeable. Why? Because having slaves during that time was a part of the culture. Now, according to verse 22, Paul expanded and developed his thought on ways in which slaves are to obey their masters. First, obeying in everything from a sincere heart with a reverence toward the Lord. This is what he wants them to understand. Obeying in everything their masters from a sincere heart with a reverence toward God. Now, as you know, these Christians must learn obedience by changing their minds and their motives in order that they might serve their masters. And even though Slaves were 
I think it's a third of the Roman population at that, at that time. And we're talking about Christians who happens to be slaves. We're talking about a very, very small group. And so now these Christians who heard the gospel, responded in faith, now has to change how they are living. In other words, Paul is calling them up. Right? This is how we used to live. But now we're going to live in this way because of who we are in Christ. And so obeying in everything from a sincere heart with a reverence toward the Lord. Second, he's pointing to this idea to do the right thing when no one's looking. Do the right thing when no one's looking. He's pointing to an idea that we're not to be people pleasers. You see, one of the dangers that these Christians must watch out for is the addictive behavior of being people pleasers. The kind of behavior that keeps people enslaved to sin. When, when Christians work only when the boss is looking or when the teacher is looking, they're not honoring the Lord. Can, can we say that we've been guilty of this? Many of us have, right? We find ourselves, the boss is gone, take a little eat, hey, why are you run? Why are you going so hard? You don't take all of that, right? We we've had coworkers like that that engage with us and try to get us to you know, hey, hey, he's gone. We don't have to go. Let's take it easy, man. We don't have to go so hard. But again, Paul is calling the people of God up, and so do you know that? When we're getting paid for the time we haven't worked for, we're actually stealing. We're cheating the system. We're getting paid for time we didn't work. So this is what, this is what Paul is trying to communicate, that we have a, a, a greater obligation here. And so, do you only work when the supervisor is around? That's cheating. That's stealing. Unfortunately, some of us willingly try to get over on the system to make sure that work is easy. We have even grabbed on to um, the old adage, you know, work smart, not hard, right? Indicating that we need to find a way of making it easy. Now, I'm not against working smarter, but it should include working harder as well. Because if we want to do our job 
Well, it's going to take that. And that's what Paul is encouraging these believers to do. But some of us forget about the all-seeing and all-knowing God who sees and knows all things. Young people, when mom says, clean your room, do you do a half job or do you only clean your best when she's around? That's cheating the system. When mom says clean the room, it means just that. And that's something that has to be done. It has to be done with the right motive. Sometimes you find people at work cheating the system. Supposed to be working, instead they're in the bathroom, just taking time away from the company. Breaks are extended longer than they should be. You know, this really is important for believers because unbelievers are watching. How we conduct ourselves, how we behave ourselves matters because when we go and share the gospel, they're like, man, please. Are you kidding me? I take pens from office and paper about being, I think, what? Are you kidding me? So we see our actions. If we try to stretch things, we can find ourselves not being a witness for God. So Paul is telling these slaves, slaves who are under their master's rule, that even there you are to glorify God. As a side note, we are free to please those the scripture allows us to. However, we, we shouldn't use God's giftedness and treasures to slave ourselves under other people so that they might like us. All right? This is what, what is meant when we are talking about doing things for eye service, this is when we do things so that we can be accepted or to satisfy the other person so that they hopefully to like. This is when we do certain things out of fear or so that others won't scrutinize us and cut us off. That's clearly a slave mentality. It's not a slave mentality as unto righteousness, but instead unto sin. In a sense, when this happens, the person who is a people pleaser is in a sense given reverence to the other one they want affirmation from. 
And as we know, that specifically belongs to the Lord. Instead of offering to God sincere worship and honor from the heart, the people pleaser does things to be seen by others externally and outwardly. Now, in the general sense, we're all slaves of something. However, it matters whether or not we are slaves, as I've said, of righteousness or slaves of sin. In Romans 6, beginning at verse 16, Paul states, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Then he says, But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. In other words, we're to know our identity in Christ. We're to live in that way. But I want you to go with me. Can you imagine? There's no structure in place. Slaves and masters are living together. Can you imagine hearing these words for the first time? These Christian slaves must have felt like Paul was commanding them to submit to masters who were mistreating them. But the truth is, reverence leads obedience because it guides the believer in realizing the need to esteem God highly in order to obey his word. And so notice what the scripture states in the following verses in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. There it says, the end of the matter All has been heard, fear God, and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then in Deuteronomy 12 uh, and 13, he says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord where I am commanding you today for your good. It sounds just like what Joshua said. Right? There's going to be a decision that has to be made. And you're going to have to be like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not caring what anybody says. 
Because his love matters more to me than anything and anyone in the world. Paul is calling us up to live a life that is pleasing and honorable to God. And it's not to say we're not doing that, but there is room for growth because we do have blind spots. We don't do everything God has commanded us to do. And so he says in Deuteronomy 13, 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Christians are called to a high standard for sure. But what enables us to continue to work comes forth out of a reverence for the Lord. So he says in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And in other words, we have no excuses for the work that we do. If we are working as unto the Lord wholeheartedly. So it doesn't matter what people do. Because our, our work goes beyond them. Our work actually is vertical. You see? And so... Paul is reminding these slaves that even though they're in a low situation, they are still required to have their motives set on God. What we're trying to say is this. Don't let your work or your job determine your effort. Right? Sometimes people will slack because of the kind of work they're doing. But if we are working as unto the Lord, it doesn't matter what we're doing. We can be sweeping the floors for the glory of God. It doesn't matter. Why? Because my standard is not in what I'm doing. But it's in who I'm serving. Right? So work hard at what you do in order to bring glory to his name. Who motivates you to work at all? Is it you? You're in trouble. If we motivate ourselves, what I mean is that if we're dependent upon ourselves, we're going to have problems. People going to rub us the wrong way, right? Um, Things are not going to work out like we planned them to. Things are going to fall short, miss the mark. People are going to say things, take our emotions around and around. We got to go beyond that stuff, right? We got to go within. The battle is within. 
There's a lot of things that will continue to happen externally, but the battle is inside. It's the inside man we must deal with. He must worship. He must honor God. He must glorify God. No matter what the situation is, God wants glory for his name's sake forever and ever. And we might as well practice now. There's going to be a lot of that in heaven. But we're going to do it with so much joy, so much vigor, so much desire, so much want to. We have the ability to do it now when we're depending upon God. And so we must ask ourselves, what is motivating me? Is it money? Is it cars? Is it relationships? What motivates me to do what I do? You see? Uh, if, we're not, if we're working for anything other than for the glory of God, we're, we've already failed. Our efforts ought to come from our hearts, our motives. One of the dangers is to do our work according to the way we feel. That's a problem. Our feelings will let us down. They're inconsistent. They can help us, but we can't depend on our feelings. We must go to the truth, and we must stand at the truth. We must listen to the truth. We must allow the truth of God's word to motivate us. And so that can easily have us in a place where we don't want to work if we're relying upon our Feelings. So we shouldn't work from a place where our emotions have taken the lead. Instead, we ought to allow our motives to be our guide on the whole man. That's what the scripture reminds us of. For out of the heart flows the issues of life. So whatever we're motivated by, that's what's going to come out of us. If I'm motivated for money, that's what's going to come out of me. If I'm motivated for any other thing in the created order, that's what's going to come out of us. And the Lord says it's not what comes out of the man that defiles the man. But it's within. Right? So, We must do everything with all of our heart as unto the Lord. That means that half-heartedness is unacceptable. It's simple in this way. Jesus is Lord, and he will not share his glory. So who has your heart? We must die to self and live for Christ. We must be sold out for Jesus. And the point is, Christ is the best and truest motive for our work. So we ought to practice doing that on a regular basis, not just in some areas of our lives, but in all areas. The text tells us to serve the Lord, not men. 
This sounds like a restating of not being a people pleaser, right? So don't let, we're to not let our payout determine our effort. In other words, we're not, we're not going to work according to what we're receiving. If I get a little bit, then I'll work a little bit. If I get a lot, then I'll work a lot. That's not what God is calling us to, to do. The object of our motivations will be our God. We must trust the Lord and remember the promise he has given us. And so in this case, it's our heart. Jesus says it like this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I say again, where is your heart? Notice what it says in verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. All right? At the end of the day, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's our inheritance. And we have the Holy Spirit as our guarantor for our promise that he has given to those who are his people. And so, remember the supremacy of Christ in our work. Our focus upon the Lord ought to be our ultimate motivation for what we do when we work. The other thing we must do, we ought to remember our inheritance when we work. Remember who you are really serving. Remember who you are really serving. And so the ultimate motivation for the kind of work Christians provide ought to be out of a love for the Savior because we shall receive our inheritance in due time. And that's why in verse 24, he says, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. This is what the scripture says across the board. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Right? There's a consistency here. So we ought to remember our inheritance when we work. Remember who you are really serving. So the question is, maybe there's someone here, you're working for the wrong reasons. And the question is, do you know Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Have you, have you received the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might become a child of God. The scripture makes it clear that if you believe in the Lord Jesus, that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the grave, you will be saved by the profession of your faith. The scripture says that with the mouth, confession is made, and with the heart, 
right? With the heart. With the mouth, profession is made. With the heart, confession. I'm, I'm messing that scripture up. Uh, in Romans, Romans, I believe, 10, 9. Uh, but my point is, is that when we profess Christ, we believe in our heart, trust him for our salvation, we will be saved on the basis of what he have done for us. And so we're saying that there's no need for you to provide a righteousness for yourself. You can be saved solely on the basis of what Christ has done for you. And so, receive Christ today as your Lord and your Savior. And herein lies the motives and reason for us to live by in order that we might please the Lord. Listen again to verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. Those who are out of Christ do, have not received this inheritance this inheritance comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so listen to what else the scripture says in Ephesians 6. It says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or, a, or is free. So this is a, similar to our text, but stated in a different way. So what is seen here is consistency with the scriptures. And so this is, Obviously, something for us to really consider. Listen to another uh, text in Ephesians 1, uh, verses 11 through 14. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, right? having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here we see the consistency of what the scripture commands. Verse 25 Paul goes on to say, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. There is no partiality. So verse 25 is a reminder to both slaves and masters that they will have to stand before an impartial and discerning God to answer for the things that they've done. So the judge we are, the judge is the person, the Lord God, in whom we would have to stand before. And God has no favorites. And so we see this picture here of standing before the Lord. Ephesians, uh, in, Ephesians in Ephesians text, Paul says, You know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven 
and there is no favoritism. Same thing in this verse, in verse 25. And so we see God as judge. We see that he presides in the heavenly court. God is judge over the whole creation. He judges the earth. He judges every individual. He judges nations. He judges rulers. He judges his own people, angels, Satan. No one can hide from God. And so essentially there's a warning here. Don't let wrong motives hinder you from excelling well in Christ. Wrong motives is a guarantee of failure. If we want to be successful in doing those things that pleases the Lord, having wrong motives will guarantee failure. And so that's why it's so important for us to pull back the layers, for us to check our own motives, to see if we're in line and in step with what the scripture teaches. Here's the other thing. We're not to let anyone hinder us or entice us to take for ourselves that which is in opposition against God. So true success only comes from God. And so we're to watch out for the dangers of wrong motives. We see it even in our prayer life. If, if we don't have the right motives, our, our prayer life can be affected. By that. And finally, Paul turns his attention to the masters. And as a warning, Paul adds this final verse as a reminder to those who own slaves. In Colossians 4, verse 1, masters, treat your bond servants, your slaves, justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So he says, don't show Favoritism, be fair because God is your master and you are his slave. This is essentially what he's saying here. Paul is calling these Christians to hold to their obligation because it's the right thing to do. And so people needed those resources to help their families, and so Paul is warning them not to hold back, not to show favoritism. And if you think about it, what a, what a wicked thing for them to hold back something that will help somebody else knowing that they already have it. So this is a, this is a warning. Treat them fairly. Treat them Justly, because God, your master, is watching over everything. There's nothing that we can hide. And so, a family member in Christ should be treated in the best of ways. These slave owners are called to treat their slaves with dignity and respect as a brother in Christ. Why? Because in Colossians 4, verse 1, he says, knowing that you also have a master. So they must remember that. They have a master. 
that is greater than them. Christ is Lord over all. He is Lord over the family. He is Lord over work. He is Lord over life. He is the sovereign ruler over all creation. He is God. So there's no area of our lives where we're to say, God, you can come in the living room, but you can't come in the bedroom. That's my space. Right? God wanted all. He wanted all. And so, as the verse tells us, may we work heartily as unto the Lord, for we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that your word will continue to help us, that we might die to self, and we might live for your glory in everything that we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.